0: Welcome back to episode 25 of the Fantasy Front Office podcast for the week of January 22nd, 2018. This week, we are going to talk Cold to Houston, Kutch to San Francisco, Reed to Minnesota, and a little bit on our Listener League. We've kicked it off, and we actually completed 35 rounds in nine days. So, so much for a slow draft. All of that in this week's episode. Go Giants. And now, entering your ears, your Fantasy Front Office. And this week, in the front office with me as always, Keith, Phil, and Todd. Alright guys, this week, well, the last two weeks, because we were off last week, had been a little bit of a hot stove. We actually have news. So, up first... Garrett Cole was traded from Pittsburgh to Houston. And what are your hot takes on this? Does this do him any good?
1: It, I think it does. And my initial hot take is, is that Colin Moran was basically given to the uh, Astros by uh, the Marlins a couple years ago. So that just makes the Marlins look even worse. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I do think Cole is going to be a little bit better in that ballpark because I think their defense is much better. I do think that their offense is much better, obviously, as well. So I think he's going to get a couple extra wins.
2: I think from a Pirates point of view, they get some interesting sleepers. Uh, third base wasn't so deep, I might be a little more interested in Colin Moran. He's another guy who um, kind of bought into the fly ball revolution. A three hundred eight, three seventy three, five thirty two slash line last year in AAA. So I think he's going to start out as the um, opening day third baseman. Uh, handled lefties pretty well, too in the minors, at 281 last year against lefties. So he's an interesting guy later in drafts. And then they get Joe Musgrove, who's amazing out of the bullpen, terrible as a starter. He's going to get a chance to start for the Pirates. So under Ray Searidge, maybe there's some magic, but he'll be an interesting late-round flyer.
1: Real quick, I don't know if they have Ray Searidge anymore. I think he went somewhere else, didn't he? Or am I just tripping?
2: No, he came back, but... Oh, he did? So he he came back on a one-year deal, so it kind of sounds like this might be it for him. Gotcha. Yeah. Next up, we have Andrew McCutcheon
0: has left Pittsburgh and is headed to the Bay. What does this do for him fantasy-wise now that he's slotted in as the right fielder in San Francisco?
3: For me, he kind of resurrected his career a little bit last season, and it seemed to bring back some of the MVP-esque Andrew McCutchen that we had seen in 2014 2015 and even a little bit before that I think he's still got a little bit left in the tank I guess the you know in 2016 we were pretty much writing him off about two 256 had a 336 on base percentage which was a career low last year he kind of snapped back um OPS 849 you know almost a full 100 points higher than it was the previous season Hopefully this will be a little bit of a shot in the arm for him and he can kind of have a few more really productive seasons like he did last season.
2: Yeah, in uh, San Francisco, a lot of people will freak out about the ballpark, but PNC Park and AT&T Park are very similar, as in tough place to hit for a lefty. But for righties, it's probably more middle of the pack. Um, I expect him to kind of a similar years last year, you know, high 20s and homers, maybe a little more RBIs. Um, but I I expect him to be pretty much the same this year. Still 31, so not too old, but... I expect a solid
1: year. My thing on Cutches is, is he's been going downhill for a couple of years. Yeah, kind of did decent last year, but I think last year was more fool's gold than anything. I just don't see a repeat. So um, him going to San Francisco, I really don't think that that's the move that they should have made, but it's only for a one-year deal. Uh it doesn't really bother me. <laughs> it doesn't move the needle one way or another, in my opinion.
0: Now, I did listen in to the local sports station there when they talked to Andrew McCutcheon shortly after the deal. He was energetic about the move. Granted, they asked him about the lineup. He was all right with it. He said they have some seasoning, as in there's some experience there. We're going to have to see. I mean, they got Longo in a deal earlier this year. Now they got Kutch, so they've solidified some worrisome positions at least for this year. Kutch did mention... Playing right field is going to take him a little bit to figure out, but it's also going to be a benefit to him because he's hit triples there and he knows it's a great hitter's ballpark at that point. Next up... We've got a little bit of a closer issue in Minnesota. The Twins had signed Fernando Rodney earlier a couple weeks ago and now they signed Addison Reed. They are saying Rodney is going to get the first chance to close. Who do we see getting more saves this year for the Twins? Keith, you, you want to say Rodney's going to fall apart, but he he tends to
3: succeed in these types of roles. I mean I don't want to bet on him but in leagues where I'm going to wait and wait and wait on saves nobody ever drafts Fernando Rodney so I'll like you know I'll likely have a few shares like I did last year and if he falls apart in June then I'll drop him and pick up whoever's you know streaming on on waivers but I'm not going to be afraid of owning Fernando Rodney because the the draft price is going to be so so cheap.
1: I'm afraid of owning Fernando Rodney. I'll be honest with you. He he scared me for a few years. I haven't. I, I just don't touch closers that have the potential to have like a four and a half ERA. That's just not something that I want them to kill my ratios or anything like that. The thing that's really interesting is, is that the Twins are actually signing people like this, and and teams like the Cardinals and things like that are, aren't signing anybody. You know, I heard the Twins are even in on U Darvish right now, which is just. Per- perplexing to me that the Cardinals wouldn't be, but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. I'm not a Cardinals fan. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Now, see, we we all rode the Rodney bus here in Arizona last year, <laughs> and it was shaky in the early going. Yeah. Maybe he didn't have his confidence or whatnot, but like I went to a game where he literally walked the bases loaded with a three run lead and blew the lead and eventually the game. And I thought it was done and over with. Like the Rodney experiment was done. Let's move Archie to the bullpen. And that was in May. And look at who got what was it 39 saves for the diamondbacks yeah. last year that was his most saves in like four or five years
1: save is kind of an archaic uh, stat though i mean i know that's a stat that leagues use but truthfully i mean three runs or less and and in one inning i would say most decent pitchers <laughs> in the major league should be able to do that um should quote unquote the quote-unquote closer role to me is just nonsense, but I don't know. I've never been a major league pitcher, so maybe it's not. But I don't know. That's the thing is, like, you see guys all the time that have crazy high ERAs or, or whatever the case may be, not really the greatest pitcher, that they're the closer, and then you got Andrew Miller out there throwing darts, and he's the, the sixth-inning guy.
2: Just uh, two notes on Fernando Rodney and the draft that we just did as a, a league. He went in the 330s, so you can get him (laughs) extremely late. He's the last closer off the board, pretty much. But the thing that scares me with Rodney was the Diamondbacks were extremely patient with Rodney last season, and they didn't quite want to put Archie in that role. Now with the Twins, are they going to be as patient? And also, Addison Reed has tons of closing experience. The patience factor with Molitor and Minnesota, that's something I'm curious about.
3: And just to kind of piggyback on that from what I said earlier, so if you look at 2013 to 2017, Brennan Rodney, and you look at saves, who has the most saves in the last like four or five years, Brennan Rodney is fifth on that list. So it goes Kimbrell, Jansen, Holland, Chapman, and Rodney. Now, I'm not actually rooting for Rodney to get saves, but the fact is he has gotten saves. And still in the crazy land that is MLB managers today, they're still going to run him out there. And give him a shot at getting you know close to another thirty or forty saves. So like like Todd saying, I'm I'm not going to draft him anywhere but like my last pick overall, just purely for chasing saves. But I'm not afraid to do that.
0: Yeah. By comparison, Addison Reed at the time I don't believe had even a team attached to him. He went in the 15th round of a 16 team league at 225. Some, now for some ar- higher picks higher. For
3: argument's sake, I'm just I'm on fangrafts right now looking at the last four years. Years of stats. So, Addison Reed, although I think he's a much, much, much better pitcher, Addison Reed's ex-fip from 2013 to 2017 is 3.54. Fernando Rodney's is 3.60. I mean, it's a large sample size instead of a smaller one, and I bet you that changes in the last few years, but. I don't think it's that drastic that he can't hold that job down if he doesn't walk four batters per nine, which is what he's done in the last three years. Right. I
1: mean, 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 that's his career average is 4.4 per nine, Fernando Rodney.
3: Which is totally cool for a closer. I mean, it's it's fine. Yeah, That's exactly. (laughs) Don't worry about it. You
1: want. (laughs) Don't
0: don't worry about it. It's the Rodney wave. You either ride it or you don't. All right. On to the last major trade. Randall Grinchik was shipped out from St. Louis to Toronto and... And they got back a couple pieces that could be interesting for them. Phil, what do you have for us in what the Cardinals got back?
1: I honestly don't even know the one guy. I heard that he had a terrible year last year and that he was a prospect coming up, but he has repeated double A for the past two or three years. So I don't think that the one guy that they got is anything special. Um, The Leone guy, he bounced around a couple of times the last couple of years and then went to Toronto and I guess figured out uh, that he had a wicked cutter and someone taught him how to throw it. And, man, he has dominated since. So I hope that uh, comes over, and I hope it's not another Brett Cecil situation where he comes over and just doesn't do great after we... Give him money and <laughs> trade for him. At
0: hopefully not. Hopefully not. Keith, what do you see happening with Grinchik? Because that outfield is pretty crowded right now. I know there's some pretty lofty projections that are floating
3: out there. Uh, we talked before we went live here. Jeremy, you were seeing some projections as
0: high as 30 to 35 home runs. Yeah. For the yeah. next two
3: years or... <laughs>
0: Well, they were projecting 500 and some odd at-bats for him. It just seems like he's probably going to platoon this year unless someone gets hurt. Like, platooning him with Granderson, maybe? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah,
3: his like normal season. So if he played like 150 games, uh, his pace right now is probably 24 home runs. So to project him for any higher than that, I think would be a little too ambitious. I don't love his on-base percentage and his plate skills. So his career on-base percentage for the last four years in over 1,300 plate appearances is 297. So well below um, what you want to see from any hitter of any level. Um, that 249 batting average isn't going to help he's going to hit pretty far down in the lineup so even if he does you know hit 26 28 home runs next year um it's going to come with you know minimal rbis and, and not very many runs so it's not really somebody i'm interested on very many levels maybe in deep deep leagues take a flyer on him because he's 25 26 and and maybe he figures it out but uh Gritchick isn't somebody that i'm really interested in owning this year
1: bro he was drafted before mike trout you know that right <laughs> it's
3: gotta yeah be, it's
1: got to be something you know
3: that still counts for something i'm <laughs> (laughs) i'm i'm sure he's got like
1: a picture of that and it's framed
3: somewhere in his room in his house
1: probably has mike trout Trout signed it already
3: yeah he signed it for him
0: like hey man good job all righty after the break we are going to get into our listener league Alright, so over the last week and a half, we started a slow draft listener league with listeners of the show. Thank you guys for listening. You're half of our listenership, I'm pretty sure, those in the league at least. <laughs> no, this is not a 3,000 man league. <laughs> and so let's uh, let's turn the time over to the commish. Todd, give us kind of the rundown on how the league is made up, any special rules that we have going on in
2: this. It's a 5 by 5 Roto League, so on-base percentage, and then we have wins instead of quality starts, and then it's a hold plus saves league, and then everything else is pretty much standard. 16 teams, 35 rounds, so I believe it was in the 700s of total players drafted. 560, or 560, my bad. It felt like 700. It felt, felt like, like 700, 700 <laughs> for sure. sure I'm pretty
3: sure Phil drafted himself there in the last round.
2: Uh, <laughs> with right? his
3: final pick, Mr. Irrelevant
0: was Phil Evans.
1: I feel like he is less than a
0: irrelevant but
1: you know, um, <laughs> j- let's just be honest uh, i've been following this guy for a couple of years just because he has you know my exact name and it's just funny because he's actually decent and he made it to the majors last year and might make it to the majors this year again so see what happens
0: so we're playing rule five draft rules right you got to carry him on your active roster all season
1: oh i'm just gonna trade him to somebody <laughs> that name value boy <laughs> there
0: you go trade him to me for fernando rodney and I'll, I'll drop you and that way you can you know
1: hold up i don't like what just happened I feel like I got worse with that deal. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so an interesting roster makeup of this league is we decided to go one catcher because as we discussed last episode, if you're playing in a two catcher league, stop it. Get help. Quit abusing yourself. There aren't that many catchers out there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's not even 16 that are playable.
0: Ah, it's questionable. And we combined the DH with a utility slot, so it doesn't have to be a DH. It can be any guy
2: filling that slot. Yeah, and we had two utility spots. So.
1: And then our our pitchers weren't any sort of starting pitcher versus relief pitcher. It's just pitchers. Yes. So that's that's one that's one thing to notice. Also, there was one guy that went with no starters and has. All relievers.
0: Yeah, and it was a strategy that I didn't pick up on until he mentioned it in the chat during the last round.
1: I tried to mention it early on so that people people would see it if you missed it. <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> yeah. Once I realized that he was punting, I was like, Oh, okay. So he's seriously not considering um, strikeouts or wins at all. That's that's just it.
3: I actually considered going with that strategy up until probably a few hours before the draft. And the only reason why I didn't was because we started what, twelve hours early? Well, no <laughs> true. No, <laughs> yeah, as I felt like if I didn't have a balanced team, it would be I don't know. I felt like I was kind of taking advantage of maybe the rules, and if it had been any other league, I might have done that. And so when I started to see it happen, I was actually like I was pretty intrigued. It was a, an interesting interesting setup
1: to me. In a ten team league, you can punt a category, In a sixteen team league, especially two categories, you can't be thirty two points behind. You know what I mean? If you look at it that way, you
3: definitely have you to have to
1: hit on really good.
3: Yeah, you have to be really good on every everything
0: else. Now let's actually dive into that. What were your individual strategies going into this? Like Keith, you were talking, you were possibly going to punt it. What roster makeup did you decide on? I obviously didn't. So what I tried to prioritize in this draft, because I've played in a lot
3: of really deep drafts where you get into the, the five, six, 700 players drafted. Phil and I were in the same 30 team league last year, where I think we drafted 900 and something players. That was uh, That's abuse. Yeah. So it, it's really tough. Once you get past like about 450 or so, a few things really become pretty scarce. And one of those for me was starting pitching. So I prioritized starting pitching probably in the middle rounds. I wanted to get a good base for for starting pitcher, and then I wanted to fill out my eight rotation guys before anybody else. And so actually, at some point in the draft, I ended up taking, I think, five straight starting pitchers um, to round out my what I estimated was eight starters um, that I needed to get to 225 starts, which is one of the the settings in the league. So I definitely wanted to go starter. I wanted to go offense, but I trusted myself to fill out my offense a little bit later in the draft. So I'm trying to figure out what my starters were that I went five in a row.
1: Morton, Salazar, Anderson, Lamette, Waka.
0: So that was, what, around 12, 13, 14, 15, 16.
3: And so at that point, I definitely decided, hey, I want to fill my rotation out before anybody else and give myself what I perceived as an advantage to having guys who I think are going to get at least 160 to 180 innings and give me, you know, quality ratios and from then on start to fill out. Really, I went middle infield first because I felt like that was the maybe the the most scarce, getting a second baseman, getting a shortstop, getting third base, getting first base, and then I wanted to take a lot of risks later on in the draft as far as outfielder. So I went with guys like Aaron Altair and Jesse Winker, Victor Robles and Kevin Pilar, Yosemite Tomas, Gerardo Parra, guys and I drafted a bunch of those guys, hoping that maybe three or four of them um, you know, might actually work out, and I can get uh, some
0: value there in uh, a deeper position. Phil, what kind of strategy did you use?
1: Alright, so I had the 16th pick, and in a 16-team league, that's not the most ideal situation. For me, I hate being on the turn because I feel like I have to try to be one step ahead of everybody, so I feel like that's what I did with my first two picks. Um, I went back-to-back starters, even though there was a lot of good hitters on the board, and the reason I did that was kind of twofold. I didn't really, I wasn't in love with any of the headers that were there. And the other thing was, is I kind of wanted to create a run on starters so that by the time that my next pick rolled around 30 picks later there would still hopefully be a decent hitter that probably shouldn't be there and luckily I had two of them sitting there. You did. Nelson Cruz and Edwin Encarnacion kind of fell into my lap so that made my uh, third and fourth round picks pretty easy and realistically you know in in a 16 team league I could even see those guys going maybe late second early third in some uh drafts so I think my strategy worked out really well because 10 of the next 30 picks ended up being starters. Um, I went back and actually did the math. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that what I did at least made sense you know, after the fact. Well, that um, it paid off. Right, exactly. Obviously. But some of the guys that were lining up to to be draftable with my third and fourth picks were like Jose Abreu and like Reese Hoskins and Cruz and E.E. E. So I was I was really, really excited. And then the next set of picks, that one was rough because I really like Ronald Lacuna, okay? This is probably the... <laughs> Later on, we're going to talk about the reach of the draft. I probably reached there, uh, but yeah. the problem with that is, is that is it really a reach because he wasn't going to be there with my next pick. Like if I would have taken him with my second one, I took him with my first one for whatever reason. But had I taken him with, let's say, pick eighty one, he wasn't going to be there at pick one twelve for me. So I looked at it as I'm not really, I'm not really reaching for him. I'm just taking him in a position where I think that I have to to be able to get a guy that I want, and that's really what it boiled down to. And then eventually. I just started letting guys sit there until they fell into a point where, you know, I thought that they shouldn't fall anymore. Like, I don't really like Scooter Jeanette that much, but I mean, once he fell to pick 209, I'm like, all right, I have to take him. Um, Second base is so thin. He had twenty, uh, what, twenty-eight home runs last year, something like that. I mean, Miles Mikolas. Um, I, I really didn't target any Cardinals, and other than Alex Reyes, and I hate Mike for even drafting him. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Mike. Um, but anyways, so I mean, that's kind of how it ended up working. I just kept seeing guys fall that I didn't think should fall, and then I, that's pretty much what my strategy was. I didn't have, I wanted this many players by this point or whatever. I just kept seeing guys that I was like, there's no way he should still be here. I have to take him now.
2: Todd, did you have a strategy going in? For me, my biggest thing was I did, if you do the math on outfielders, so there's five starters per team, which means there's 80 starting outfielders and only 90 starting outfield spots in baseball. Plus how many of those are platooned. So I knew early, I wanted to go some outfield and then I knew that I wanted to grab a at least an ace, or best pitcher available in the second round, just so I have at least one guy in my rotation that I can count on for like at least stats. At six, uh, Harper fell to me, so I took Harper at six, Came back around, took another national Strasbourg. Strasburg. Um, at that time, I took him over Ray Severino, Baumgartner. Those are two guys that um, went right after him. And then the third round, Springer fell to me at 38 overall. So I grabbed my uh, two top outfielders and my ace in the first three rounds. And then from there, I knew in the next couple of rounds, I wanted to attack the middle infield, just really attack the positions that don't have a ton of depth. So second base, as we've talked about uh, previously on the pod. So I took Shoop in the um, fourth round. And then from there on, I wasn't so much worried about the ADP, but just making sure I got guys that I liked this year. Uh, I took Sean a fifth, Sonone to sixth, Godley a seventh, and then from there.
1: I thought your guys' strategy was to compete with Keith on how many nationals you guys. <laughs> I only yeah, I it think was
3: three. I think I drafted every national that Todd <laughs> didn't draft. There was a there was a run there where I had I think I was I looked down and I'm like you know what I think I have the whole offense.
2: <laughs> yeah, there was one point in the middle when I took Tanner Rourke, and right as I took the pick, Jeremy put in the group chat that hey I bet Todd's gonna take a national here or something along those lines. Yeah, it. Was,
0: it uh, yeah. Looking at the lineups, it looks like it's four to three Keith has the edge. Nice. I I know there were a few guys (laughs) in the league willing to trade nationals to either of you to work that out. So
1: I got Adam Eaton you guys want to start a bidding war. I'm all cool with that.
0: (laughs) So my strategy going in was I wanted to be as balanced as possible across the board. So every pick that I took had to be a guy that was probably in the the 20-15 range, 20 homers, 15 stolen bases or if it shifted drastically one way or another, I'd pick another guy to offset it the other way. So like I took Adrian Beltre, he's not going to steal bases. So I took his teammate, Deline you know, DeShields, who isn't going to hit many home runs. And so I took a balanced strategy throughout. So it's Goldschmidt at first base, Alex Bregman at third base, shortstop, wherever I slot him in. Tommy Pham in the outfield, Domingo Santana, Witt Merrifield fell to me in the sixth round.
2: Keith hates Wit. <laughs>
0: What happens? You know what? At a certain point there, I started to consider taking him. I know, you, him. Were. What was I his know overall, you were. I know you were.
3: What was his overall pick? Where did he go? Uh he 94. went ninety-four. Okay, so I wouldn't have taken him then, but if he started falling into like the one-fifteen range at one-twenty, I'm pulling the trigger and I'm drafting Whit Merrifield. I'm crying the entire night myself to sleep, but <laughs> I'm drafting Whit Merrifield.
1: I almost drafted him instead of Akuna, but I couldn't. I just couldn't get myself to pull the trigger. I, I had to get Akuna.
3: No, I'm I'm definitely going Akuna over. Like, what pick did Akuna go? Because I took he went at eighty. Took him like in the seventies or eighties. just... Just like you did, Phil, like in a mock draft industry mock like two months ago and guys were making fun of me and I'm like, okay, make, make fun of me all you want. But when, uh, you know, draft season rolls around, he's being drafted 75th overall or he returns a 75 overall value, like who's right. laughing then. I mean, he's starting to creep up actually in NF- NFBC drafts. There's a, a tweet if I can find it.
1: I, w- I was just going to go over the NFBC rules a little bit. Um, so that's a draft and stash. So you do not get a trade. You don't get to pick free agents up. So a guy like Akuna with his upside is going to be very coveted in in the draft itself. And I would probably reach for him as well because he's somebody that could provide, you know, major upside in stolen base and power and, you know, a a decent average with some, you know, good runs scored that kind of thing. So I think he's going to contribute all across the board.
3: All right, so here's just uh, Matt from at CTN Baseball give him a follow. Here's his tweet from I think a couple days ago and he plays in a lot of NFPC drafts Um, he took his first share of Ronald Acuna on November 17th and he went pick 159 overall. Um, He took another share of Acuna on January 7th, and he went 130th overall. This last draft that he did a couple nights ago, he took him pick 104 overall so you can see that his stock has already started to climb you know a total of about 55 picks in just a few months so we're only a few more months away from him being drafted right around pick number 100 or like Phil did somewhere in the 80s and I think for me I don't want to reach any further than the 80s like I understand taking him 85 overall I really don't like those guys that are like the 70 to 110 range there's a lot of guys like Whit Merrifield who did have a good season but maybe don't have sustained Sustainable track record to to give you more success and i'd rather take the risk at pick number 85 or pick number 90 on somebody that could return top 10 top 20 value in akuna
0: all right coming up our first round observations some rises some falls and late round pitching targets We're going to dive into some observations in the first round of our listener league draft. Phil, you were mentioning in the break that Joey Votto kind of went a little higher than he normally does, but it is an on-base percentage league.
1: Yeah, I mean, Joey Votto is my blue, and no one can take (laughs) that from me. Keith is on the bandwagon. I don't think I would have drafted him at nine. There's a lot of other players that I probably would have taken there, mainly the next four guys. No, not Chris Bryant, uh, Carl's <laughs> there instead. Um, four of five. Four, yeah, exactly. For the next five guys, I would rather have over him. Uh, even with it being an on-base percentage league. That one was kind of a little off for me.
3: I don't know. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, if you look at what his the way his roster shakes out, he obviously prioritized on-base percentage. He I think he got Santana and a couple other guys that have high OBP. He's probably projected to win that or come very close to winning it with Votto and, and the few guys that he he picked up. So I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, I think probably my favorite first-round pick was Mookie Betts at 12. Yep. I, I don't know how he continued to fall and fall and fall. I think Betts is probably a top five pick for me. Seven max. Um, I like him to bounce back this year. I think he's a five category contributor. So for him to last all the way till twelve, I think was a huge advantage for James Bryant at thirteen. Was I think is a really good value. I got eaten alive for my Trey Turner pick at four. Um, yeah. A couple of guys. A couple see, guys on Twitter. I
1: see, I don't see how. Well, like, I mean, like that's where he's going. It's
3: it's a, it's a perception thing. I think NFBC has him third overall. Right. Um, I could I could be wrong. I think it's uh, Trout, Altuve, Turner, Goldschmidt, maybe or something that's like a, that. But that's anyways, how, that's
1: he's, how I would put it personally.
3: He he's in the top five for sure. I think my ranks that uh, I pushed out my top twenty or thirty early early ranks post 2017 season, I had him in the top probably six, and I've started to move him up further. And, I just can't take... I could have taken Bryce Harper there. Those were my two options. Um, I love Harper's upside. I just... If Trey Turner does what he's done in 162 games, Ace, he's a 2080 player. And that's his ceiling, obviously. Uh, but that wins the league. Earlier in the week, I saw a tweet in a, uh, I think it was like a beat Al Melchior league on fan tracks where Trey went number one overall. That's dumb. Don't do that. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, it, it, it's dumb. It's not crazy. It's dumb. So, I mean, could Trey Turner be the number one overall player in fantasy this year? Absolutely he could. Should could you draft him that way? No, you shouldn't. So, I, I guess it wasn't crazy for me. Some guy on Twitter blasted me said uh, Trey over or Turner over Arenado is the the dumbest thing in the world and I just liked the tweet like cool that was me (laughs) Um, so (laughs) yeah no, I, I'm what's, happy with what, it.
1: What's really funny about the Trey Turner the effort, number one overall is that if that's who you like, I mean, that's it's going back to the same thing that I was talking about with Akuna. If that's who you like at that pick, he's not going to be there with your second pick, so you might no, as well take him shoot, more overall. shoot your overall. shot, man. You know, you know what shot. I mean? And and that's and that's the way that I look at it. So, I mean, really, there is a very good chance, I would say, that there there's a likelihood, there's a pathway, I guess for him to be the number one overall player. And, and you know, I mean, Jose Altuve has some wards. No one wants to even mention those, but... Sure, he hits 200, uh, gets 200 hits every year, but is the power really there anymore? Is the stolen base really there anymore? What is he actually doing for it? you know what I mean? So I don't know. Mike Trout's godly though, so I don't I don't think anyone should pick anyone over him. But yeah,
3: a few weeks ago I did some hitter risk grades, breaking down like the consistency of players, their production, their plate skills, injury history, and risk and stuff like that. I ran through some data and just in the first round, you know, one through 12, Turner got the worst grade, so he was a D. Player as far as what his risk rate is. Um, so he's obviously a risky pick, uh, but there's also a ton of upside to match with that risk. Um, Trout received an A-minus, which may sound crazy, but um, it was pretty... Arenado was an A and Chris Bryant was an A. It, those are the only two guys in the first 12 picks that received you know, an, an A score in, in my uh, in my, my risk grades. But yeah, Trey Turner was definitely the riskiest of all of them, but I'm okay. I play that way. Typically, I'll, I'll play for risk and try and reach for upside and, and try and win the league because second place, doesn't really do much for me. I'm
1: surprised you didn't burn that projection system down to the ground for saying anything good about Arenado. <laughs> no,
3: it was it was it was an objective, like, not to you know pull a Brian Kenny here. It's a Jeff objective methodology, the, the the whatever the the shredder or whatever that's right. at MLB Network right now. But no, I, I ran the numbers. I didn't have any input in there. Everything was based off of like uh, their stats or their health grades. Um, I was able to pull average DL days or injury days um, off a couple separate sites so yeah it was it wasn't anything that i had any any play into it was just some simply running the numbers and you know creating a formula so trust me when i saw trey turner got the worst grade i was like oh crap
0: because i'm pumping him up the whole year <laughs>
3: it's it's just one of the things you have to keep in keep in consideration i mean
0: yeah it's one of those that isn't an opinion piece it's a statistical piece and he was just the riskiest pick which he is i think that, i think you can say that
3: he definitely is he's got the one of the smallest track records he has been injured injured a ton his plate skills aren't great although his production's been great but yeah he's he's a risky pick but like we've been saying for last couple shows that risk has a ton of reward
0: packed in it's just you know what are you going to get todd where did you fall for any observations that we haven't already covered
2: uh for me mainly it's just i believe that there's a firm top 6 so i was picking 6 and i was happy about that Bet you i just <laughs> but for me in the first round you either want to Guy who has potential being number one value like Trey Turner, even if he is risky, or you want someone that's solid and consistent. I think that would be the Nolan Arenado crowd. Uh, For me, I got Harper at six, which I think he can be the number one overall player without a doubt. Very happy about the Harper pick, but I see the two philosophies between taking a Trey Turner, who's very risky, but at the same time could be the number one player, versus a Nolan Arenado, who he's consistent, you know he's going to get you, but he won't be the number one overall player. I'm just going
1: to throw it out there, Corey Kluber was number two overall in the league uh, last year that's kind of set up pretty similar to this. So, I don't know. I I
3: actually I loved your, your turn there, Phil. Uh, you know, getting Sale and Kluber in, in this type of league where I was already prioritizing starting pitching. I mean, not to the degree that you did, but had I been in that same spot where I picked 16-17, if those two guys were there, I was doing the exact same thing. I, I loved the base that you created, and you did what you tried to do. You created a run on starting pitching, and you ended up getting offense sliding back down to you in your next pick. So it, it worked out. I mean, I think it's going to give you a good base. I thought I prioritized starting pitching and in the projections that uh, we, we ran for the league, I think you're head and shoulders ahead of me. And I think the majority of that is from those that one-two punch that you got in the first and second round. Oh, for sure.
1: That's why I felt really comfortable taking kuno where I did because even if he does like give me, let's say, 120, 150 value back and I lose some value, I have a lot of guys that are pretty stable unless they just fall off the face of the earth and this is the year these guys have been pretty consistently like second third round picks um for you know last eight ten years so i felt really good about the first six rounds of my draft
2: and here's another thing about phil's team phil has sale as his number two starter which is awesome here's everyone else's number two starter barrios otani alex wood tanaka price godley uh garrett cole and then like john lester's one Jose Quintana, James Paxton, that's just an and Strowman. So that's 12 of the other teams for example so that's a huge upgrade having sales your number two versus those guys
1: I look at both of them as like one and a half of a decent pitcher so I basically like, I, I basically got no I, and, that's, <laughs> and that's not joking because like the strikeout totals will show you that like them two together is almost three decent starting pitchers so I get the stats of three pitchers uh, and one two and spots. a half
0: each not right those right, right. two together or one and a half no
1: pitchers. no no, no. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha one I'm one tracking you now pitchers. so I feel like that that's where you know if, if they get 200 70 strikeouts again, 300 strikeouts for, wasn't Chris Sale, I think. Yeah, Chris Sale had 300 strikeouts, I think. I just think that that just puts me one step ahead. And then I went back and got, what was his name? Luis Castillo, who also should have a decent year. And I, I feel like that my pitching ended up working out well, because like I said, I, I prioritized it at the beginning and then the hitting fell to me. And then I just saw really good values different at different times of the draft.
0: All right. So building off of these observations, what happened in the later round? Actually, one of our listeners wrote in asking who are our favorite starting pitchers in the latter rounds. Where do you fall on some of the starting pitching later in the draft? Outside the top
3: 200? Is that what we're talking about as far as late? Or are we talking like outside the top 150?
1: I would say like 250 or 300 because that's where the normal drafts usually end. And, you know, once you get to that point, most people aren't drafting in, in areas of that nature unless they're, you know, not making poor decisions in life.
3: <laughs> yeah, and, and actually that's that's why I did what I did. So I took five starting pitchers in a row, starting at pick 189 and ending at pick 253. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we already said it before, but I went Morton, Salazar, Anderson, Lamette, Waka. And so I, I strategically ended my eight starting pitchers which is what i thought i needed right about 250 because i felt like after that there was a cliff that that everybody went off of and i wanted to make sure that i had you know my starters that i could rely on now, not all those those guys are going to hit and probably two of them will be injured the next two weeks but you know I, I had a base that i could work off of and then i just went crazy on outfield and took way too many outfielders hoping that the depth would create some sort of stability you know throughout the season
0: so i'm looking at it and after your last starting pitcher with waka here are the- the following starting pitchers that came off the board: Cole Hamels, yeah. Julio Tehran, mm. Chad Green. Yeah, that's, uh, that's peeling. That one's all right. Kent Ameda, Lance Lynn still doesn't have a team. Jimmy Nelson, injured. And we, right, injured,
1: already throwing baseballs. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: why that's why I drafted him. That, that's one of the guys that I was saying that I feel like I I got a solid there's no way he lasts to pick 272 unless he's got no. the sports that he does.
3: No. Um, no, he had, a, he had a great season. I mean it's just how many innings is he gonna give you? 125?
1: If he's well they're projecting that you know he'll be ready to rock and roll by the beginning of spring training is from the last thing I saw.
3: That's better than yeah, that's better than what right. I was hearing. So that yeah, that turns into a if you get him for hundred and
0: eighty innings, that's a that's a quality pick at two seventy two. That's an amazing pick at 278. The next set of starters gets really iffy. They're all questionable, either health or rookie or just really interesting here. You got Rick Porcello, uh, Steven Matz, Brett Honeywell, Tanner Roark, Jake Odorizzi. Tyler Chatwood makes an appearance, Zach Davies, Sean Newcomb and Marco Estrada. And that takes you through like the next three rounds. That's round 20. So you're looking into the three hundreds by then.
3: And, and I probably like Honeywell the best out of that group, even not knowing how many innings you're going to get. Um, because I'll take 130, you know, possibly really quality innings out of Honeywell. than I will 180 innings of any Chattler. like Rick, Rick Percello, I guess. I mean, I don't really want any innings of Rick Porcello, but that's the problem. Is is that's what you're left with in these type of leagues if you wait too long on starting pitching. It's just it could be really really bad, and those pitchers could really drag down the the quality pitching that you you picked up in in the early rounds.
1: Well, and the other problem is is that if you wait too long, good luck even finding a starting pitcher. To be quite honest with you, like somebody that is actually going to have a role that is defined at the beginning of the season, like. I had Miles Mikolas at pick 369. I'm not quite sure that there's many pitchers after that point that didn't have like a six ERA last year. That, right. that were that were drafted, and that's and that's me being serious. I mean, I I didn't. There, there's not much left after that point. And,
3: and there's still some good picks that are sprinkled in here. Like uh, Carlos Rodon was a good pick. Mike fulton Foltynewicz was a good pick. Um, Ronaldo Lopez was a good pick. Those three went back to Jack, back to back.
1: Jack Flaherty down at 495. I got sniped. yeah. So like
3: that was 359, <laughs> 360, 366. You know, I actually like all three of those picks. Those are guys who had I not filled up my rotation when i did i would have been looking for all three of those guys definitely a little bit of upside i mean who knows what carlos Rodon's gonna give you or if he's ever gonna figure it out but if he's helped i mean he could he could have a severino type season because he has severino type stuff um it's just it's whether or not he he figures it out and stops walking you know a Fernand, fernando rodney four plus per per nine or whatever it is but yeah that's you know as far as like just overall snipes if we're if we're not talking starting pitching right now pretty ticked off when uh, todd picked up Andrelton Simmons at, at 187.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Or
3: James picked up uh, e- Eugenio Suarez at pick 181. I wanted both those guys, uh, so I wasn't too excited about those two, uh, those two picks. And actually, that started my run at uh, starting pitcher. I took Charlie Morton a few picks after that.
1: I think one of the other things that a lot of teams did was wait on catching, because there was no catching to be had. So, I mean, I got my first catcher with pick... 368. Wait a second. Russell Martin.
3: You drafted two catchers?
1: I did draft two catchers. The reason that I drafted a second catcher was because it's Tom Murphy, and the guy was supposed to jack home runs in Coors Field last year and was the big thing, got injured, and then they traded for uh, what's-his-face Luke Roy, and then he never played. So I think he's going to actually do big things this year, and I got the little safe uh, on-base percentage Russell Martin.
0: So, okay, like look, looking at catchers, we had Gary Sanders. Sanchez go in the second, Wilson Contreras in the fourth, Buster Posey in the sixth, then JT Realmuto in the eighth, and then you got to jump down to round 11 when Wilson Ramos came off the board, 12, Salvador Perez, 13 was Evan Gaddis. like Evan Gaddis is the fifth or sixth catcher off the board here, I drafted Yachty in the 14th, and that started a run, Austin Barnes came off the board, Mike Zunino, Robinson Chirinos in the 15th, and Brian McCann in the 16th. And at that point, I was playing chicken with like three other dudes with catcher.
2: (laughs) And and
3: I I think we waited and waited for like at least like six rounds because I ended up finally looking at the top of the draft board, having like three or four picks left. And I was just picking like deep relievers at this point who maybe have a good, you know, strikeout minus walk or something like that. I was digging pretty deep, but I looked up and Yasmani Grandal is just sitting there and I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll get him. I mean, like good on base percentage at times, you know who knows what they do as far as platooning and Austin Austin Barnes and that situation. But uh, yeah, I, I was pretty excited to get him at pick 420. But yeah, we played chicken for like 7 or 8 rounds with like 3 or 4 other guys in the league.
0: Yeah, Grandal was sitting in my queue for so long. So long. 14 catchers came off the board from round 26 on.
2: So I actually didn't take my first catcher until round 28 and I did what we kind of talked about in the last pod was I got Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki uh, last Last year they had a combined thirty one homers and on base percentage in the three sixties combined. Such so a good move. Yeah. I'm gonna roll off those two guys. Hopefully I check my lineup every day, uh, make sure I get the right one in. <laughs> but that was my strategy. I just after a certain point all the catchers look the same. Um they're both high on base guys. Uh they both play when they have a matchup in their favor. So I, I'm all in on flowers and Suzuki. Especially we have um, like twelve bench spots, I believe, in this league, so uh, you can afford to do it. So that's why I went that way.
3: Yeah, that was a, that was a great move. I, I wish I was smart enough to do that or paying enough attention to figure that out because i think someone actually noticed it in the chat too because you picked one of the guys and a couple rounds yeah. later snagged the other one that was a nice pairing and that should give you a nice heads up especially since you waited so long at the catcher position
2: yeah i got them at 443 and
0: 454 back to back
3: and that's
2: great value yeah. yeah
0: yeah all right now we are running a little long in this break <laughs> we
2: get to talking
1: there's, about our own there's teams so, and we there's just get so lost.
0: much <laughs> there's so much to i mean you're you're just so much so
1: to go over,
3: though. Like, we drafted 796 players. in the Hey
0: this. You're breaking the entire season down, like in one episode. Like. I know. I had a second catcher in my queue the whole time because I wasn't sure. I, I needed a backup in case Yachty went down, yeah. and I didn't want to have to grab the scrap heap catcher. So that's why I had Grandal in there. And I was like, well, everybody's playing chicken with it. I'm just going to let it keep falling, keep falling, keep checking off these other items. I went five starting pitchers in six picks. Yeah. After round twenty, just because I knew we had discussed that we needed eight starting pitchers, and I think I ended up with ten because there were a couple question marks. One's a rookie, some health. Yeah. So it's like you—you got to have it.
1: I was pretty upset that Chancisco got sniped in front of Russell Martin. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, I was really bitter about that because I was waiting on him specifically. I was like, all right, this is the point. It's perfect time. I'm gonna draft him, and then he gets taken, and I started screaming. <laughs> Not a joke. Like, I literally started screaming in my house, and my wife just kind of looked at me. <laughs> uh, and I was like, it's it's not something you would understand. just
0: <laughs> it's great. And coming up, we are gonna wrap up the show with a mailbag question and any additional cleanup on this draft. This episode is brought to you by the refreshing new taste of <laughs> just like that other lemon lime soda, except with the kick you love. Find it at stores everywhere. to the last part of this episode we've got a mailbag question here that's been burning a hole in my pocket waiting to ask you guys who are you absolutely not drafting phil you want to kick us off here keith
1: hates wit (laughs)
0: We already covered Um, this. He was going to draft him, but I picked him.
1: Seriously, though, uh, Clayton Kershaw is just somebody that I do not think is head and shoulders above the rest of the pack anymore at starting pitching, which he was for several years. I think he's in line with maybe three or four other guys. And with his back issues that have been around the last couple of years, I just I'm going to have zero shares of him. I'll go a different direction if I'm forced to see him in front of me.
0: Todd, do you have somebody that you are absolutely not drafting?
2: For me, it would be Xander Bogards. He went 75th in our league, but I see him going earlier in ADP in other leagues. He's a guy who I went all in on last year having a bunch of leagues, and he burned me pretty bad. Um, we've talked about him a lot on the pod, but Bogards is definitely my do not draft guy. Keith? Where do you sit on this? Well,
3: I wholeheartedly agree with Phil um, on Kershaw, and uh, my my Bogart's hate is growing by the day. So um, <laughs> those two are actually on my my probably won't draft list for a, a couple different reasons we've already probably discussed. But uh, my guy's Rudinette Odor. I actually he's like one of the few players who I'll see on like ADPs or ranks where I like get noticeably upset that people <laughs> are still drafting him. Like stay away from Runet Odor. He's not a good player. He's not a good hitter. He's probably a great person. He's probably very nice, uh, but I don't want to want him on any of my teams this year for, for probably about like a million reasons. If you want to know all 732 reasons why not to draft Rugnador, <laughs> hit me up on Twitter, fantasy underscore Keith. I'll be happy to explain to you what all of those reasons are. All the underlining numbers are atrocious. Um, I don't think, and maybe he can fake it and have a half of the season, season's productive, but he doesn't have sustainable success in in the main. Major leagues. And and if I had to guess, honestly, I think he has 18 months or less left before he's just not an everyday player. He just doesn't have the
1: skills to produce anymore. But he's got a massive right hook, though.
3: <laughs> he, he can't
1: and i probably should stop talking crap because you know what he's gonna find you
3: he's gonna tommy fam me on on twitter and just you know come find me or something
1: i'm gonna start you know tagging him in your posts
3: <laughs> <laughs> maybe the get, tag tag the rangers maybe they'll get a clue
1: i will and then i'm gonna put keith hates my players Bring it. Hashtag Keith hates my players. Anytime your player is uh, somebody that Keith hates, but you love hashtag Keith hates my player, we will uh, start a revolution, guys. We're banding up against Keith.
0: I need it. All right. The guy I will have no shares of this year is Miguel Cabrera. Burned me so bad last year. He's going Ah. to
1: pick like 250 or something. I'm I'm exaggerating, but kind of not really.
0: Yeah. Well, he went, what, fifth, sixth round? Seventh round of our draft. Ah, I thought that was kind of a reach. For those of you who play in like regular
3: leagues where it's like your nephew and your girlfriend's playing in the league and some guy... From work, somebody is going to get to like the 10th round and they're going to see Miguel Cabrera and take him every time and be super excited about it. They're going to be like, Oh, Miguel Cabrera snuck all the way down to pick number 72 and they're going to grab him. Um, So uh, his ADP, I think, is going to continue to climb throughout the next few months but just yeah, based off of name recognition
0: name, alone, just name
3: value alone i mean the, the you know kind of like in fantasy football where certain guys just get you know dra- adrian peterson or whoever it is just gets overdrafted like crazy because of the name recognition so yeah i think that, he's gonna what's that you talking about i don't know i have no idea never heard
0: of it all righty guys well this has been a great <laughs> episode we've had a lot of fun discussing <laughs> the draft where can the people find you keith all right so you can check it out
3: at uh, fantasy underscore keith i'm um, doing a bunch of writing right now, so check out uh, the writing for, for Baseball Prospectus and for Fan tracks, uh two or three times a week now, so plenty of stuff
0: to get caught up on and hopefully help you out with your draft prep. Todd, where can they find you?
2: You can find me at Goldie Happens.
0: And didn't you have a uh, Diamondback article that just went up recently? Yeah, I
2: have a uh, Diamondback article talking about J.D. Martinez, Manny Machado, and a little bit of the Hot stove and I should be posting another one Friday.
3: So. And even if you're not a Diamondbacks fan, check out that read. Uh, really well done by Todd you'll thank me later thank you
0: All right, and Phil where can they find you Uh, I'm Phil and I am at the Baseball Jedi I've been at Front Office Jer, and you can find us all over on Twitter at Fan Front Office and find us at our home on the web FanFrontOfficePodcast.com we'll have links and we're working on aggregating all of Keith's articles into one neat location linking out to all the various sites that he's writing for and until next week Good luck in your draft prep.